So hi everybody, um, I realise there's lots of people who don't know me this morning, but um, as Rachel said, my name's Bryony. Um, I've been part of this church for about 16 years or so, um, and yeah, I'm married to Rich, and we have three children, um, Sophie, Jack and Grace. I am I'm preaching this evening, and um, I told our eldest, I said, oh, do you want, do you want to come along? Because sometimes she comes along with me to the evening gathering, so do you want to come to the evening gathering? Um, and she was like, oh, I'd really like to, but probably not if you're preaching. So, um, <laughs> so that's like the level of stroking my ego that I'm getting at home, so, <laughs> so be kind to me later. Today, I'm carrying on our Lent series. We've been looking at it, what it means to surrender and step into freedom. And to do that, we have been traveling through Psalm 23, which is probably one of the most famous psalms um, that King David wrote. And so that's what I'm going to be picking up where Tom, um, our senior leader, left off last week and carrying on um, today through that. But first thing I want to do is I want to take you back to October 2003. Don't know what you were doing then, but it was my first month of university and I was at Salford Uni in Manchester and I studied um, media and performance. And so as part of that degree, we had to take acting classes. And so one of the first classes that we had, the teacher said he wanted us to look at different kinds of acting, different ways of doing acting. And one of those was a technique called method acting, which is probably one of the most kind of famous things um, to do with acting, method acting. And in method acting, the idea is that you draw from your own emotional world, your own experiences, and bring them to a particular character. So um, Robert De Niro, kind of like Hollywood myth, was that he, when he was filming um, Taxi Driver, he actually worked as a New York cab driver um, to get into character, to really understand what that character was. And so our tutor decided that the emotion that he wanted us to tap into, that he wanted us to work on, was anger. And so he got us all to stand in two lines, facing a partner. And he said, I want you to think about a situation in your life where you were either in an argument or something happened to you and you felt like you didn't get to say the thing you wanted to. So a situation where you didn't get the last word. And what he, was, he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then you are going to say whatever that is to your partner at the same time, and everybody's going to do it. We're going to do it for one minute, and that was it. You can see where this is going, can't you? <laughs> and so, three, two, one, the room explodes. Like, people are shouting in one another's faces. It was the worst group therapy session I've ever been part of. It was horrendous. So we do, he gives us just this a minute, which felt like forever. And we finish, and people are crying. Like, people are genuinely slightly traumatized. I'm not sure that if I was ever going to do drama teaching, that would necessarily be a tactic that I would use. But it was very effective in some ways, because he made the point that method acting was about um, accessing this kind of inner world that we all have, that is bubbling underneath. We all have these emotions going on all the time, and so... Method acting is about finding that emotion and then taking it into a character. That, that, uh, that term, there was a lot of angry characterization that went on after that session. But my reflection was that when he said three, two, one, everybody had something to say. 
Nobody stood in silence. Nobody struggled to find a situation where they didn't have, where they, where they had the opportunity to, to say the last word. Nobody struggled with that. And that's because I think it's really hard not to have the final say. And we remember those moments. We remember the moments when we didn't get to say the thing that we wanted to. It's really difficult to be hurt by somebody and not have the final word. I find this all the time with my children. <laughs> um, you know, when the kids, like, they say something and they're convinced they're right, but you know, you know they're wrong. And they're just determined, no, 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 this is... And I find it takes everything in me to not go, you're just wrong. Like, I want to correct them, but they're so determined that they're right. And it's really hard as a parent to be like, okay, you know, I'm just going to let this one go, just let it go, when everything in me is just wanting to scream, no, you're wrong. It is really hard not to have the last word. And today, as Rachel said, my theme is surrendering my anger and offence. And I want to be really honest with you this morning that this is not a topic that I wanted to speak on, as Tom will attest to you from the email that I sent him a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I am a work in progress on this. I struggle with anger. I thought I was a very chilled out person and then I had children. Um, I struggle to not be offended. And so I come to you this morning really humbly. I'm going to offer you my learning in this area, not my expertise. Like, this is a live issue for me right now, but I know that it's really important. And that it has been genuinely, even though I said to Tom, I'm not speaking on that, um, <laughs> I, it has genuinely been a blessing to my soul to wrestle with this passage over the last few weeks. And so let's start with um, Psalm 23. We're going to actually look at two different passages of Scripture today. So briefly, Psalm 23, and then I'm going to unpack a little bit more um, from the Gospel of Mark, Matthew. But let's read the passage that we have been looking at every Sunday so far, Psalm 23. The words will come on the, the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today's um, key verse that I'm going to look at is verse 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So verse 4, which Tom unpacked, the verse before that last week, talks about walking through a valley, being guided through the hard places of life, the situations that are difficult with God. And then here, in the midst of the valley, God prepares this celebration meal. The writer, um, Tim Keller, says that what's amazing here is that, that God doesn't just prepare this celebration meal at the end of our battle, at the end of the valley, but he prepares it right in the middle. And what's more, this is in the presence of our enemies. In this picture, King David's enemies have no hold over him. He's not distracted. He's not been distracted by them. He's able to see God's blessing and God's provision in his life. 
and I'm going to unpack it a little bit more in a minute, but I don't think I particularly would rarely call somebody my enemy. But I know that there are people and situations which definitely distract me from seeing God's goodness and provision in my life and in theirs. And today what I want to do is use the words of Jesus to unpack this a little bit more. This idea of surrendering our anger and offense. So we're going to take Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And this passage is from something called the Sermon on the Mount, um, which unsurprisingly is Jesus talking on a hill. Um, And in this amazing um, sermon, Jesus paints this picture. Some people um, call it his manifesto, but his picture of what it looks like to live in his kingdom how it is different to live the way of Jesus. And it's actually the way that he would not only talk about the way that he would go on to model throughout the rest of his life on earth. So let's jump to Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus begins by saying, you've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So what the religious people of those days had done was that they'd taken an instruction from the Old Testament, which is from Leviticus 19, and it said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it says. But what they'd done is they'd scrapped the as yourself bit and replaced it with and hate your enemy. And then they'd ask the question, well, who's my neighbor? which is a reasonable question, I guess, to ask. And they decided that it was people who looked like them, who sounded like them, who were from the right ethnic group, the right religious group. Those people were neighbors. So anyone else was an enemy. Anyone outside of that group was an enemy. But that is not the instruction from the Old Testament. Actually, throughout Leviticus, there is loads of instructions about loving the outsider, giving blessing to the foreigner, letting people take some of your grain, all of this stuff, like provision for the people who you wouldn't necessarily call your enemy or your neighbor. They would just like give, give to them. And yet, we fast forward to the day that Jesus says these words, and around him is a really fearful people. You know, the people of God knew what it was to have enemies, particularly at this moment in history. They're being oppressed by the Romans. There's a national resistance movement happening. There are Jewish divisions. There's divides between rich and poor. There are racial divisions across society. I mean, it does sound quite familiar, doesn't it, really, in many ways. But it's into this culture that Jesus paints a new story and tries to draw them back, really, to the heart of God. Jesus says, love your enemies. Don't hate them. Do the opposite of what your leaders are telling you. He then gives them this very kind of compelling case for why 
As a disciple of Jesus, um, we will stand out as different if we choose this way. He says, you know, if you only love people that love you, then you're not going to stand out. You're not going to be any different. We have a different way. And there's this call to holiness so that we can, it says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's saying be generous, model what God does to you, that he is extravagantly generous in this area. I don't know about you, but I don't tend to name people as my enemy. Like, I'm pretty sure I don't have any arch nemesises at the minute. <laughs> pretty sure. But for those listening to Jesus, their enemy was anybody who was actively against them. But it was also those who held different beliefs to them. And if we're honest, I think we can probably think of people who we find to be difficult or challenging because they're different to us, that they hold different viewpoints, that their opinions just rub us up the wrong way. Whether that's a work colleague or a neighbor, dare I say a parent on the class WhatsApp group, <laughs> a course mate, a housemate. It could be an extended family member or a spouse or even our own children. Maybe you've come today on Mother's Day and Mothering Sunday is a hard day because you don't have that kind of relationship with your mother where you would give her some flowers. Maybe that's the difficult relationship in your life. But we are faced nonstop with people who will challenge us. It's just part of life. We are faced with people who will make our lives difficult as we do theirs. And while we couldn't, we wouldn't necessarily call them enemies because we've been very British and nice about it, actually, we've, if we felt anger towards them, the instruction from Jesus is that they are our enemies and we are to love them and pray for them. And maybe today you actually do feel like you have enemies. You do have people that you are not in a right relationship with, that things are hard. And Jesus' instruction for us today is to love and pray for them. Like it's helpful to admit that we have enemies, that we have people where this stuff is not easy to do. And the thing that I find most challenging about what Jesus says is that he says that we are to pray for those who persecute you. That goes beyond just asking us to show love. This is putting love into action, that it's making love real. This is letting our enemies have the final word rather than trying to get our point across. Rather than defending ourselves, Jesus says, pray. John Stott, the theologian, puts it like this. He says, if they call down disaster on our heads, we retaliate by calling down heaven's blessings on theirs. If, we call down, if they call down disaster on our heads, we retaliate by calling down heaven's blessings on theirs. Let's just acknowledge that this is super hard. <laughs> like it's super, super hard. Because when I'm offended, when I'm angry, I want to have the last word. I want to give that person the five reasons why I am right and they are wrong. Like I told you, I was a work in progress in this area. The last thing that I innately in my own spirit will do is to call down blessings on them. And yet, over the last couple of weeks, once I decided that I was going to relent in my slight annoyance with Tom asking me to preach on this and do it, I have been really trying to live this way and to walk this out. I've been trying to notice when I'm slipping into anger or offense. 
and I've been trying to pray for the people that I'm struggling with, whoever it happens to be that day. And you know what I've found? I've found that it's really hard. (laughs) And it's really hard to silence the bit of my brain that wants justice. But the more I keep coming back to prayer, the more I keep persevering in prayer, the softer my heart becomes and the easier it is to love those people. The more I keep persevering in prayer, the softer my heart becomes and the easier it becomes to love those people. Sometimes the only prayer I can manage is God bless them. You know, when my kids are pushing my buttons, I'm learning to pray like God bless them. Prayer changes us. Prayer opens up a new way of seeing and being and relating. And it can be as simple as just God bless them. And when we do this, it changes us because it changes our position. And what I mean by that is that when we take a posture of love and prayer, when we feel angry and offended, it means that we are starting to look to God to fight for us. It means we're looking to God to have the final say, the final word. That we're trusting God to look after us without us needing to have the final word. We start caring more about what God thinks about us than than more than what we think other people think about us or about our reputation. We stop managing our own image and our own reputation and let God lead us. And sometimes we will have righteous anger. We will have anger that feels like justified, but I still think This instruction to us is still the same, that even when we feel justified in our anger, that it's a righteous anger for injustice, and there is plenty of injustice in the world, let's face it, we still need to come to God and surrender some of that and say, actually, God, your way, not mine. It is God's job to judge, not ours. And so even when we feel righteously angry, we bring that to God and we say, God, like, if you want me to act on this, then show me, but I give it to you. I surrender it to you. Don't let me turn this into something else. And don't let me turn the, the, the object of my righteous anger, the person that I feel righteously angry at, don't let me lose the fact that they are a loved child of God. And this is really important in the culture that we're in. You know, I, I don't think that any of the amazing parents who brought their children to be um, baptized and given thanks for this morning are hoping that their child grows up to be someone who is easily offended. Like, I'm pretty sure that is not what you were praying for this morning. But the fact is that we live in a world where people are easily offended. We live in a world where offence is just like all around us. You only need to turn on the TV and see Gary Lineker or open the newspaper or look at social media. In fact, I saw um, a thing on social media that said how to offend people on social media. One, write something on social media. Two, someone will be offended. Like we cannot escape offence. And if we want to be offended, we will be. You can find things to be offended for. You could probably find something in everything I've just said to be offended by. We can find offense if we are looking for it. And I think even more than the culture that Jesus was speaking in, he would say to us, stop. In a culture where we cancel people when we don't agree, where we say, well, I'm just done. I'm just done with that because their view is different to mine. Their political persuasion is different to mine. The way they live their life, whatever, I'm just done. Jesus says, stop, love, and pray. 
Instead of offense, love and pray. Instead of anger, love and pray. And this isn't some abstract kind of concept I'm talking about. Like, I need this every day. Like, even in my, in my marriage, I know that if I'm a bit stressed, that I can take things that my long-suffering husband over there um, says out of context occasionally, maybe, and feel a little bit offensive um, and a bit offended by things that he might say that are not offensive, but I can take it the wrong way. And I'm finding myself really challenged this week to surrender my need for the last word in every situation of my life. And before I finish, what we want to say is that Jesus doesn't ask us to do something he is not willing to. In just a couple of weeks, we will journey through Holy Week. And this is the week that leads to Jesus' death on the cross and his glorious resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we will see that Jesus' enemies thought that they were winning. Jesus was accused and scorned, and offensive, offensive things were said about him. And yet even on the cross, his prayer was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, in his darkest moment, surrounded by his enemies, chooses to love them and pray for them. We don't follow a God who didn't live this stuff out. And you know the truth? The truth is that none of us have the higher ground here. We don't offer love and prayer in some kind of, you know, magnanimous, benevolent act. We do it because we have received that kind of love and kindness from God. God sent Jesus to die for us for all of that offensive stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with him. You know, in King David's day, when the people messed up, they sacrificed animals to say sorry, to put themselves right with God. On the cross, Jesus does that for us. He stands in the gap. He has the final word. And therefore, we are the recipients of the most amazing love and forgiveness and kindness that we can imagine. And to return to Psalm 23... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God is wanting to lift us up in the middle of the hard stuff. He invites us to join him at his table so that we can be blessed in his presence. He doesn't want us distracted by situations or people in our life that would cause us to act in offense or anger. He wants to be in a relationship with us and to give us the strength and the wisdom and the love to face those situations and those people with his heart. And so today, as we come into a time of worship again, I'm going to invite the band up. Um, but maybe it is that we need to surrender our anger and offense to God. Um, I think as we were praying earlier, Jesse had a word about um, people coming with backpacks that needed to be just left at the cross. And that was the picture that I'd had as well as I was preparing of maybe the stuff today that we just need to leave here. The situations where you need to say, actually, God, I'm done with carrying this offense and this anger. Like, I need to hand it over to you and let you fight for me, let you deal with it. And that might be from literally this morning, an argument that you had on the way to church, or it's stuff from decades ago that you've carried for just too long. And God wants to bring freedom to that place. And maybe it's just that you actually, your prayer today is, God, 
help me to love them, God, because I'm not there yet. And I think God is totally fine with that kind of prayer. He doesn't expect us to be all sorted. He doesn't expect us to do this in our own strength. He knows this is hard. This is tough stuff to talk about. It's tough stuff to do. But God loves that heart attitude of, God, I know this is hard, but I want to work with you here on this stuff. I want to be transformed. I want to walk in freedom. But secondly, maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with God. You don't know where you are with God. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, today, like, I want to just say to you that that invitation to that table, to that banquet is open to you. That opportunity to meet with God, to know his friendship, his kindness, his love, to, to experience all of that is available for you. And I just really encourage you that in the worship, you might want to turn to the people who you came with and just say, that's, that's, I, I think that maybe I want to be in a relationship with God or come and speak to one of the team after this gathering. But we would love to tell you more about this relationship with Jesus that so many of us have found is the place of transformation, is the place where we find our soul's rest. Can I invite you to stand? I'm going to pray and then um, hand over to Jesse to lead us.